Section 18 of Myths of Babylonia and Assyria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Becky Cook. Myths of Babylonia and Assyria by Donald Alexander Mackenzie. Chapter 14 Continued. Asher, the National God of Assyria. In Ezekiel's comparison of Assyria to a mighty tree, there is no doubt a mythological reference. The Hebrew prophets invariably utilized for their poetic imagery the characteristic beliefs of the people to whom they made direct reference. The owls, satyrs, and dragons of Babylon mentioned by Isaiah were taken from Babylonian mythology, as has been indicated. When, therefore, Assyria is compared to a cedar, which is greater than fir or chestnut, and it is stated that there are nesting birds in the branches and under them reproducing beasts of the field, and that the greatness of the tree is due to the multitude of the waters, the conclusion is suggested that Assyrian religion, which Asher's symbols reflect, included the worship of trees, birds, beasts, and waters. The symbols of the Assyrian tree, probably the world tree of its religion, appears to be the rod of mine anger, the staff in their hand, that is, the battle standard which was the symbol of Asher. Tammuz and Osiris were tree-gods, as well as corn-gods. Now, as Ashur was evidently a complex deity, it is futile to attempt to read his symbols without giving consideration to the remnants of Assyrian mythology which are found in the ruins of the ancient cities. These either reflect the attributes of Asher, or constitute the material from which he evolved. As Layard pointed out so many years ago, the Assyrians had a sacred tea which became conventionalized. It was an elegant device in which curved branches, springing from a kind of scroll-work, terminated in flowers of graceful form. As one of the figures last described was turned, as if an act of adoration towards this device, it was evidently a sacred emblem, and I recognized in it the holy tree, or tree of life so universally adored at the remotest period in the East, and which was preserved in the religious systems of the Persians to the final overthrow of their empire. The flowers were formed by seven petals. This tree looks like a pillar, and is thrice crossed by conventionalized bull's horns, tipped with ring symbols, which may be stars, the highest pair of horns having a larger ring between them, but only partly shown as if it were a crescent. The tree with its many sevenfold designs may have been a symbol of the sevenfold one are ye deity. This is evidently the Assyrian tree, which was called the rod or staff. What mythical animals did this tree shelter? Layard found that four creatures continually introduced on the sculptured walls were a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. In Samaria the gods were given human form, but before this stage was reached the bull symbolized Nanar, Sin, the moon god, Ninip, Saturn, the old sun, and Enlil, while Nurgle was a lion, as a tribal sun god. The eagle is represented by the zoo-bird, which symbolized the storm and phase of the sun, and was also a deity of fertility. On the silver vase of Lagash, the lion and eagle were combined as the lion-headed eagle, a form of Ningirsu, Tammuz, and it was associated with wild goats, stags, lions, and bulls. On a mace-head dedicated to Ningirsu, a lion slays a bull as the zoo-bird slays serpents in the folk-tale suggesting the wars of totemic deities, according to one school, and the battle of the sun with the storm-clouds, according to another. 
Whatever the explanation may be of one animal deity or fertility slaying another, it seems certain that the conflict was associated with the idea of sacrifice to procure the food supply. In Assyria the various primitive gods are combined as a winged bull, a winged bull with a human head, the kings, a winged lion with a human head, a winged man, a deity with lion's head, human body, and eagle's legs and claws, and also as a deity with eagle's head and feather headdress, a human body, wings, and feather fringed robe, carrying in one hand a metal basket on which two winged men adored the holy tree, and in another a fir cone. Layard suggested that the latter deity, with eagle's head, was Nisroch, the word Nisr signifying in all Semitic languages an eagle. This deity is referred to in the Bible. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god. Professor Pinches is certain that Nisroch is Asher, but considers that the knee was attached to Asher, Asheraku, as it was read to Merod, Merodach, to give the reading Ni-Morod, Nimrod. The names of the heathen deities were thus made unrecognizable, and, in all probability, ridiculous as well. Pious and orthodox lips could pronounce them without fear of defilement. At the same time, the Nisr theory is probable. It may represent another phase of this process. The names of heathen gods were not all treated in like manner by Hebrew teachers. Abednego, for instance, became Abednego, Daniel the first seven, as Professor Pinchus shows. Seeing that the eagle received prominence in the mythologies of Sumeria and Assyria as a deity of fertility with solar and atmospheric attributes, it is highly probable that the Asher symbol, like the Egyptian horror solar disk, is a winged symbol of life, fertility, and destruction. The idea that it represents the sun in eclipse with protruding rays seems rather far-fetched, because eclipses were disasters and indications of divine wrath. It certainly does not explain why the rays should only stretch out sideways like wings and downward like a tail, why the rays should be double, like the double wings of cherubs, bulls, and etc., and divided into sections suggesting feathers, or why the disc is surmounted by conventionalized horns tipped with star-like ring symbols, identical with those depicted in the holy tree. What particular connection the five small rings within the disc were supposed to have with the eclipse of the sun is difficult to discover. In one of the other symbols in which appears a feather-robed archer, it is significant to find that the arrow he is about to discharge has a head shaped like a trident. It is evidently a lightning symbol. When Ezekiel prophesied to the Israelitish captives at Tel Abib, by the river of Kabar in Chaldea, Kabar near Nippur, he seems to have utilized Assyrian symbolism. Probably, he came into contact in Babylonia with fugitive priests from Assyrian cities. This great prophet makes interesting references to four living creatures, with four faces, the face of a man, the face of the lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. They had the hands of a man under their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. Their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another. Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. The living creatures ran, and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Elsewhere, referring to the sisters Ahola and Aholiba, who had been in Egypt and had adopted unmoral ways of life, Ezekiel tells us when Aholibah doted upon the Syrians, she saw men portrayed upon the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed with vermilion, girded with girdles, upon their loins. 
traces of the red color on the walls of Assyrian temples and palaces have been observed by excavators. The winged gods, like burning coals, were probably painted in vermilion. Ezekiel makes reference to ring and wheel symbols. In his vision he saw one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures, with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of beryl, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever their spirit was to go, they went, thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels, and the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creatures was as the color of terrible crystal, stretched forth over their heads above. And when they went I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. When they stood, they let down their wings. Another description of the cherubs states, Their whole body, and their back, and their hands, and their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes, possibly stars, round about, even the wheels that they four had. As for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel! Or, according to a marginal rendering, they were called in my hearing wheel, or Gilgal, i.e., move around, and the cherubims were lifted up. It would appear that the wheel, or hoop, a variant rendering, was the symbol of life, and that the Assyrian feather rope figure which it enclosed was a god, not of war only, but also of fertility. His trident-headed arrow resembles, as has been suggested, a lightning symbol. Ezekiel's references are suggestive in this connection. When the cherubs ran in return, they had the appearance of a flash of lightning, and the noise of their wings resembled the noise of great waters. Their bodies were like burning coals of fire. Fertility gods were associated with fire, lightning, and water. Agni of India, Sandan of Asia Minor, and Melkarth of Phoenicia were highly developed fire gods of fertility. The fire cult was also represented in Samaria. In the Indian epic, the Mahabharata, the revolving ring or wheel protects the soma, ambrosia of the gods, on which their existence depends. The eagle-giant Garuda sets forth to steal it. The gods, fully armed, gather round to protect the life-giving drink. Garuda approaches, darkening the worlds by the dust raised by the hurricane of his wings. The celestials, overwhelmed by that dust, swoon away. Garuda afterwards assumes a fiery shape, then looks like masses of black clouds, and in the end its body becomes golden and bright, as the rays of the sun. The soma is protected by fire, which the bird quenches after drinking in many rivers, with the numerous mouths it has assumed. Then Garuda finds that right above the soma is a wheel of steel, keen-edged and sharp as a razor, revolving incessantly. That fierce instrument of the luster of the blazing suns, and of terrible form, was devised by the gods for cutting to pieces all robbers of the Soma. Garuda passes through the spokes of the wheel, and has then to contend against two great snakes of the luster of blazing fire, of tongues bright as the lightning flash, of great energy, of mouth-emitting fire, of blazing eyes. He slays the snakes. The gods afterward recover the stolen Soma. Garuda becomes the vehicle of the god Vishnu, who carries the discus, 
another fiery wheel which revolves and returns to the thrower like lightning. And he, Vishnu, made the bird sit on the flagstaff of his car, saying, Even thus thou shalt stay above me. The Persian god Ahura Mazda hovers above the kings in sculptured representations of that high dignitary, enclosed in a winged wheel or disc like Asher, grasping a ring in one hand, the other being lifted up as if blessing those who adore him. Shamash, the Babylonian sun-god, Ishtar, the goddess of heaven, and other Babylonian deities carried rings as the Egyptian gods carried the Ankh, the symbol of life. Shamas was also depicted sitting on his throne in a pillar-supported pavilion, in front of which is a sun-wheel. The spokes of the wheel are formed by a star symbol and threefold rippling water-rays. In Hittite inscriptions there are interesting winged emblems. The central portion of one seems to be composed of two crescents underneath a disc, which is also divided like a crescent. Above the emblem there appear the symbol of sanctity, the divided oval, and the hieroglyph, which this interprets as the name of the god Sandes. In another instance the center of the winged emblem may be seen to be a rosette, with a curious spreading object below. Above two dots follow the name of Sandes, and a human arm bent in adoration is by the side. Professor Garstang is here dealing with sacred places, on rocky points or hilltops, bearing out the suggestion of the sculptures near Bagaz Kwe, in which there may be reasonably suspected the surviving traces of mountain cults, or cults of mountain deities, underlying the newer religious symbolism. Who the deity is, it is impossible to say, but he was identified at some time or other with Sundays. It would appear, too, that the god may have been called by a name which was that used also by the priest. Perhaps the priest-king was believed to be an incarnation of the deity. Sandes, or Sandan, was identical with Sandan of Tarsus, the prototype of Attis, who links with the Babylonian Tammuz. Sandan's animal symbol was the lion, and he carried the double-axe symbol of the god of fertility and thunder. As Professor Fraser has shown in the Golden Bough, he links with Hercules and Melkarth. All the younger gods who displaced the elder gods, as one year displaces another, were deities of fertility, battle, lightning, fire, and the sun. It is possible, therefore, that Asher was like Merodach, son of Ea, god of the deep, a form of Tammuz in origin. His spirit was in the solar wheel, which evolved at times of seasonal change. In Scotland it was believed that on the morning of May Day, Beltane, the rising sun revolved three times. The younger god was a spring sun-god and fire-god. Great bonfires were lit to strengthen him or as a ceremony of riddance. The old year was burned out. Indeed, the god himself might be burned, that is, the old god, so that he might renew his youth. Melkarth was burned at Tyre, Hercules burned himself on a mountaintop, and his soul ascended to heaven as an eagle. These fiery rites were evidently not unknown in Babylonia and Assyria. When, according to biblical narrative, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, which he set up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon, he commanded, O people, nations, and languages, at the time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackboot, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, fall down and worship the golden image. Certain Jews, who had been set over the affairs of the province of Babylonia, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to adore the idol. They were punished by being thrown into a burning, fiery furnace, which was heated seven times more than it was wont to be heated. They came forth uninjured. In the Quran it is related that Abraham destroyed the images of Chaldean gods. He brake them all in pieces except the biggest of them, 
that they might lay their blame on that. According to the commentators, the Chaldeans were at the time abroad in the fields celebrating a great festival. To punish the offender, Nimrod had a great pyre erected at Kutha. Then they bound Abraham, and putting him into an engine, shot him into the midst of the fire, from which he was preserved by the angel Gabriel, who was sent to his assistance. Eastern Christians were wont to set apart in the Syrian calendar the 25th of January to commemorate Abraham's escape from Nimrod's pyre. It is evident that the Babylonian fire ceremony was observed in the spring season, and that the human beings were sacrificed to the sun-god. A mock king may have been burnt to perpetuate the ancient sacrifice of real kings, who were incarnations of the god. Isaiah makes reference to the sacrificial burnings of kings in Assyria. For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smotes with the rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps, and in battles of shaking will he fight for it. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. When Nineveh was about to fall, and with it the Assyrian Empire, the legendary king, Sardanapalus, who was reputed to have founded Tarsus, burned himself with his wives, concubines, and eunuchs on a pyre in his palace. Zimri, who reigned over Israel for seven days, burnt the king's house over him with fire. Saul, another fallen king, was burned after death, and his bones were buried under the oak in Jabesh. In Europe the oak was associated with gods of fertility and lightning, including Jupiter and Thor. The ceremony of burning Saul is of special interest. Asa, the orthodox king of Judah, was, after death, laid in the bed which was filled with sweet odors and diverse kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art, and they made a very great burning for him. Second Chronicles 16.14 Jehoram, the heretic king of Judah, who walked in the way of the kings of Israel, died of an incurable disease, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Second Chronicles 21.18.19 the conclusion suggested by the comparative study of the beliefs of neighboring peoples, and the evidence afforded by Assyrian sculptures, is that Asher was a highly developed form of the god of fertility, who was sustained, or aided in his conflicts with demons, by the fires and sacrifices of his worshippers. It is possible to read too much into his symbols. These are not more complicated and vague than are the symbols on the standing stones of Scotland, the crescent with the broken bow, the trident with the double rings or wheels connected by two crescents, the circle with the dot in its center, the triangle with the dot, the large disc with two small rings on either side crossed by double straight lines, the so-called mirror, and so on. Highly developed symbolism may not indicate a process of spiritualization so much, perhaps, as the persistence of magical beliefs and practices. There is really no direct evidence to support the theory that the Assyrian winged disc, or disc with protruding rays, was of more spiritual character than the wheel which encloses the feather-robed archer with his trident-shaped arrow. The various symbols may have represented phases of the god. When the spring fires were lit, and the god renewed his life like the eagle, his symbol was possibly the solar wheel or disc with eagle's wings, which became regarded as a symbol of life. The god brought life and light to the world. He caused the crops to grow. He gave increase, he sustained his worshippers. But he was also the god who slew the demons of darkness and storm. The Hittite winged disc was Sandes, or Santin, the god of lightning, who stood on the back of a bull. 
As the lightning god was a war god, it was in keeping with his character to find him represented in Assyria as Asher, the archer, with a bow and lightning arrow. On the disc of the Assyrian standard the lion and bull appear with the archer as symbols of the war god Asher, but they were also symbols of Asher, the god of fertility. The life or spirit of the god was in the ring or wheel, as the life of the Egyptian and Indian gods, and of the giants of folk-tales, was in the egg. The dot within a circle, a widespread symbol, may have represented the seed within the egg of more than one mythology, or the thorn within the egg of more than one legendary story. It may be that in Assyria, as in India, the crude beliefs and symbols of the masses were spiritualized by the speculative thinkers in the priesthood, but no literary evidence has survived to justify us in placing the Assyrian teachers on the same level as the Brahmins who composed the Upanishads. Temples were erected to Asher, but he might be worshipped anywhere like the Queen of Heaven, who received offerings in the street of Jerusalem, for he needed no temple, as Professor Pinchus says. Whether this was because he was highly developed deity or product of folk religion, it is difficult to decide. One important fact is that the ruling king of Assyria was more closely connected with the worship of Asher than the king of Babylonia was with the worship of Merodach. This may be because the Assyrian king was regarded as an incarnation of his god, like the Egyptian pharaoh. Asher accompanied the monarch on his campaigns. He was their conquering war-god. Where the king was, there was Asher also. No images were made of him, but his symbols were carried aloft, as were the symbols of Indian gods in the great war of the Mahabharata epic. It would appear that Asher was sometimes worshipped in the temples of other gods. In an interesting inscription, he is associated with the moon-god Nanar-Sin of Haran. Esarhaddon, the Assyrian king, is believed to have been crowned in that city. The writer, says Professor Pinches, is apparently addressing Asur Baniapli, the great and noble Asnapper. When the father of my king, my lord, went to Egypt, he was crowned in the Ghani of Haran, the temple of Cedar. The god Sin remained over the sacred standard, two crowns upon his head, and the god Nusku stood beside him. The father of the king, my lord, entered, and he, the priest of Sin, placed the crown upon his head, saying thus, Thou shalt go and capture the lands in the midst. He went, he captured the land of Egypt, the rest of the lands not submitting to Asher, Asher, and Sin, the king, the lord of kings, shall capture them. Asher and Sin are here linked as equals. Associated with them is Nusku, the messenger of the gods, who is given prominence in Assyria. The kings frequently invoked him. As the son of Ea, he acted as the messenger between Merodach and the god of the deep. He was also son of Bel and Lil, and like Anu was guardian or chief of the Igigi, the host of heaven. Professor Pinchus suggests that he may have been either identical with the Sumerian fire-god Gibel, or a brother of the fire-god, and an impersonation of the light of fire and sun. In Haran he accompanied the moon-god, and may therefore have symbolized the light of the moon also. Professor Pinchus adds that in one inscription he identified with Nirig or Enreshtu, Ningirsu, Tammuz. The Babylonians and Assyrians associated fire and light with moisture and fertility. The astral phase of the character of Ashur is highly probable. As has been indicated, the Greek rendering of Anshah as Asoros is suggestive in this connection. Jastro, however, points out that the use of the characters Anshar for Ashur did not obtain until the 8th century BC. Linguistically, he says, 
the change of Ashir to Asher can be accounted for, but not the transformation of Anshar to Asher or Ashir, so that we must assume the etymology of Asher, proposed by some learned scribe, should be the nature of a play upon the name. On the other hand, it is possible that what appears arbitrary to us may have been justified in ancient Assyria on perfectly reasonable, or at any rate traditional, grounds. Professor Pinches points out that as a sun-god, and, at the same time, not Shamash, Ashur resembled Merodach. His identification with Merodach, if that was ever accepted, may have been due to the likeness of the word to Asari, one of the deity's names. As Asari, Merodach has been compared to the Egyptian Osiris, who, as the Nile god, was Asarhapi. Osiris resembles Tammuz, and was similarly a corn deity and a ruler of the living and the dead, associated with sun, moon, stars, water, and vegetation. We may consistently connect Asher with Ausher, Waterfield, Anshar, god of the height or hot most high, and the eponymous king Aser, who went out into the land of Nimrod and builded Nineveh, if we regard him as of common origin with Tammuz, Osiris, and Addis, a developed and localized form of the ancient deity of fertility and corn. Asher had a spouse, who is referred to as Ashuritu, or Beltu, the lady. Her name, however, is not given, but it is possible that she was identified with the Ishtar of Nineveh. In the historical texts, Asher, as the royal god, stands alone. Like the Hittite great father, he was perhaps regarded as the origin of life. Indeed, it may have been due to the influence of the northern hillmen in the early Assyrian period that Asher was developed as a father-god, a Baal. When the Hittite inscriptions are read, more light may be thrown on the Asher problem. Another possible source of cultural influence is Persia. The supreme god, Ahura Mazda, Ormuz, was, as has been indicated, represented like Asher, hovering over the king's head, enclosed in a winged disc or wheel and the sacred tree figured in Persian mythology. The early Assyrian kings had non-Semitic and non-Sumerian names. It seems reasonable to assume that the religious culture of the ethnic elements they represented must have contributed to the development of the city-god of Assur. End of chapter 14